morning, we're going to be talking about the privileges of the household of God. Of course, you can open your Bibles, if you will, this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. But, you know, I was thinking earlier this week as I was preparing uh, this message, and, you know, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Some of your Bibles might say a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ, uh, we've all experienced that. The, the newness that we have in the Lord and how, you know, for most of us, instantaneously, everything changed. It was like what Paul said, great scales fell from my eyes. And, you know, I just saw things differently. I heard things differently. and But my life changed. And a lot of that was I, was, I was actually unaware of, of the change that was taking place. But the reason for the changes, you know, a lot of, you know, as a new born-again believer, I was so young in the Lord, you know, I was, uh, jokingly, we used to say we were like a brand new shiny penny in Jesus. You don't really understand the reasons that things turn around because at the time when I came to Christ, my life seemed, it was a shambles. And there was so many things that uh, I just didn't understand. And, and uh, But, you know, everything changed. And circumstances became more uh, hopeful and, 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 and glorious in so many ways. And I, what I didn't realize was it was because of the family that I was now a part of. And that's really what we're going to be talking about. This is what Paul draws our attention to in our verses this morning. I'm going to be taking our message from verses 18 and 19. Let's read that this morning. He says, for through him, that's Jesus Christ, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Wow. There's an old saying that repetition makes remembrance. And, and, and if that's true, and I personally believe that it is, Paul goes to great lengths to remind us of where we came from. You know, he doesn't want us to forget, not, not in order to keep us in bondage, you see, uh, to our past, but to remind us, you and me, of the glorious deliverance that we have had through Jesus Christ. Even the writer and philosopher, uh, George Santayana, he, he wrote that those who don't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And to a great extent, this saying is true. This is the problem uh, with those who become self-righteous, you see those who have fallen into that particular type of trap, they become uncompassionate uh, when they see others who are sinning because they have forgotten themselves, you see, that they were purged from their old sins, that at one time in their own life, they were counted as evildoers. So Paul starts off this chapter talking about how we were lost, how we were wretched in our ways before we came to Christ. He doesn't want us to forget that. Now, we don't want to dwell on the past, but that's not what he's using it for. He, he wants to remind us of the gloriousness that, uh, of our deliverance that we had in Jesus. But he starts off this whole chapter, is chapter 2 in Ephesians, 
when you look at verse 11, you can read it with me, and look at verse 11 through 13. He says, wherefore, remember that you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, that means you were walking in your flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision, or you're called that by the Jews, in the flesh made by hands, that at that time, now here's the kicker, at that time you were without Christ being aliens or alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now, now that you're born again in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are now made nigh by the blood of Christ. So Paul just reminds us of our desolate and hopeless situation before coming to Christ. Not only were we hopeless, my friends, but he says we were without Christ. We were without God. Now think about that. Let us just ponder that for a moment because this is what we're really seeing in the world today. God is illustrating this for you and me. You know, so often we don't share our faith. And for whatever reason, I mean, sometimes it's, it's not an embarrassment. It's just a fear. Maybe you think you don't know enough or whatever the case may be. Sometimes people don't. But most of us have compassion. Most of us, when we see something that is not right, you know, because of our new nature that we have in Christ, you know, we're, we're, we're pricked in our hearts. It, 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 it makes us feel bad. We have compassion on people. And I've often told people, as you know, if, if you really understood, you know, how wretched the world is and their, their end place is going to be the judgment of God and ultimately, of course, hell, we would run to the opportunity to preach the gospel. Well, I think this is what God is doing for us today. He's opening our eyes to their need, you see, because we see the desperation in people now. It's, 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 it's evident. It's everywhere. You go to the store, you see it. You, you go anywhere, you see it. You watch the news, you see it. They're desperate. Why? Because they really have no hope other than science or whatever that may be. And that's never a source of real hope. Only Jesus is. You know, Paul told us these things, you know, like I said earlier, not to rub our nose in our past, you know, that we might live in a constant state of regret, but that we might learn to enjoy the gloriousness, if that's even a word, of our deliverance, you know, to, and the restoration that we have in Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed, and I thought about this long and hard, after you buy something, something new, a major purchase, say a car or a house, that given enough time, Without exception, really, the new kind of wears off of it. Have you ever noticed that? You know, and when we say the new wears off, what we mean by that is that we just don't treat it with the respect that we did when we first received it. You know, if it's a car, and, and I've known this, God's been very good to me. So I've had several new cars over the years, and, 
And when you first get it, you know, you're, you wash it every day. You, you don't want the dust to get up because you're going to be a good steward of what God's given you, you see. It's not because you're worshiping it. It's not, no, it, it's because you appreciate it, you see. But being the human beings that we are, we are inclined, my friends, to forget the need that we had before we were blessed with those major purchases, how much we needed them. We tend to forget that. And because we forget, we, we often begin to wane in our gratitude, you know, and, 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 and wane in our rejoicing at having received such a blessed gift. Thus the saying, the new wears off. And even the world knows that. The new wears off. It can. But those who do remember, those who remember the pain that it was to walk to school or to walk to work, wherever you were trekking by foot, if, if you don't forget that experience, you see, then you will treat that bicycle or that new car with the same gratitude day by day that you did when you first received it because you haven't forgot what it was like before. I remember one time, this is years ago, and I was, for my 13th birthday, you know, uh, I had received a bicycle. And... You know, my, my father was the type of man who had to work very hard for what he got and, and, and really couldn't afford uh, extravagant gifts, uh, but he did that time. And, you know, I had walked to school. I didn't, you know, I was born and raised in Los Angeles, so walking 10 or 12 blocks to school was no big deal. I didn't like taking the bus, so I would walk, and, and I hated walking, but when I got to my bike, I loved it. But like I said, after a while, my appreciation for that gift had began to wane, and I wasn't taking care of it, and, and eventually I lost it. That's a whole other sermon, a whole other story, but, you know, the, the fact is, is that I really had done just exactly what I was talking about. I had forgotten, you see, what it was like to really walk. So when you don't forget what it was like. So when you're riding down the road, you see, uh, with your feet up on the handlebars and, you're, and you're, uh, you know, the wind's blowing through your hair and, and you're basking in the joy of just riding with no hands because it's a blast to do that. You know, you're rejoicing and you're remembering at the same time what it was like to not be able to do that. And you remain grateful for having received your newly found mode of transportation. This is why Paul wants to, wants to remind us, you know. That he, he reminds himself even. And, and I love that about the Apostle Paul. If you remember early in his ministry when he wrote the book of Romans, you know, he, he talked about his own wretchedness. And he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God, he said, through Jesus Christ, you know. Paul didn't just declare his wretchedness and then just move on with his life, you see. No, as a matter of fact, my friends, you know, at the very end of his life, you know, he declared in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. 
Wow. Did you get that? Paul said, of whom I am chief. He didn't say of whom I was. Now, Paul wasn't saying, he wasn't admitting that he was wallowing in sin. Far from it. He was simply acknowledging that the life in his past, that life that he, he you know, lived that was ate up with self-righteousness and, and sin, that if he were to forget that, that he would be susceptible, you see, to returning to it. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He came to do that. In reality, we can all say of sinners of whom I am chief because really, that's the way I felt. You probably felt the same way yourself when you first came to Christ. You felt like you were the worst of the worst, but you were so happy that God had restored you and forgiven you and, and placed you, you know, and placed his ring upon your hand. You felt like a newfound son or a newfound daughter. But if we believe then, then God has promised that he will adopt us if we just put our faith in Christ. And to bring us, you know, not only into his kingdom, but to make us a part, he says, of the household of God. For through him, he says, we both have access by the same spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. There's a very interesting passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5, where Paul points out a, a very basic but a very profound truth uh, concerning those who have a home, a household. And here's, here's what he says, and talking about, of course, children, really. He says, but if any, any provide not for his own, and especially those of his own household, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. One of the signs of the end that Paul pointed out is that people would be without natural affection. Uh, there, there should be privileges, you see, uh, granted to those who are of any particular household. If you belong to a household, and we all do, there's privileges that come with that. You see, Paul used the term natural affection when he said that in, in 2 Timothy 3.3 uh, because it's just that. It, it's a natural affection. Uh, you know, parents, and you and I who are parents or grandparents, we love our children and we do it unconditionally. You know, I've often told my kids you know, there's nothing that you could ever do or you could say that would ever cause me to forsake you. It doesn't mean I, I like everything that my kids have ever done, just as my mother hasn't always enjoyed everything I ever did. But I was always there for them, you see. You know, now, in this particular world that is so close to the coming of Jesus Christ, that whole issue, that whole concept of natural affection has been turned on its head. You know, we're living in a day when murdering uh, uh, your own children, you know, women murdering their own children out of the, out of the sheer uh, reason of convenience is not only legal, but it's celebrated by so many people. 
those are the ones Paul was saying are without natural affection. They don't even have an affection for their own children, you see. When the natural state is in order, though, parents not only love, but by nature, by, by the sheer nature that they have, they, they take care of their children. And they lavish the love and acceptance upon them. See, Paul said, if a man will not provide for his own, especially those of his own household, he's worse than an infidel, and he has denied the faith. So the apostle is basically warning brothers and sisters in the Lord that we are to be to our children what the heavenly Father is to us, and that is provider. And God is our provider. Now, as I see it, I, I personally believe that there's three basic areas in which we should provide for our children. Because there are three basic areas in which the Lord provides for you and me. That's physical, emotional, and spiritual. I thank God that I had parents who did a pretty good job in all these areas. My dad, as I told you earlier, was a, was a working-class dog, or a working-class man, same, same. You know, he worked for a living. He was a blue-collar guy and always uh, was a good provider, you know, of our physical needs. At times, as I mentioned before, though he couldn't really afford it, uh, he would lavish gifts on us, and, and sometimes they were expensive. And we didn't appreciate it as a kid, to be honest with you, not how hard he had to work for the, the type of money that he was spending at the time, but, but he did it nonetheless. My mother, on the other hand, lavished more emotional and spiritual things on us. In fact, if it wasn't for my mother uh, and the Lord, of course, working through her, uh, I probably would not have come to the Lord as soon as I did uh, as a young man. So we, you and I as parents, are to provide physically, emotionally, and spiritually for our children. You know, and, and, it's, it's a, and it's a blessing that we get to do it. It's a privilege. You know, in Ephesians 6, 4, Paul said this. He said, you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He also pointed out to young pastor Timothy that from a child, you know, Timothy had been taught the Holy Scriptures, the Bible says, that were able to make him wise unto salvation. His mother and his grandmother, you know, were very instrumental in his spiritual upbringing. And that's the way it should be. You know, so often I, I hear people you know, talk about their kids and, and the fact that their children are not serving the Lord. And, and there, there can be reasons for that. I mean, sometimes even when kids come up in the best of Christian homes, sometimes, you know, they rebel. But it doesn't mean that we forsake them. It doesn't mean regardless of what it is, we want to do what the Scriptures teach us, and that is we want to be providers uh, for our children. We want to have natural affection for them. And, and it's, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but, you know, because it seems like a no-brainer to some people, but not in the world anymore, my friends. In the world, natural affection, <laughs> you know, Paul said it would be waning in the, in the end days. Well, you're there, and we see it. 
So we as Christian parents, you know, we're, we're to provide for our own, especially those of our own household. And if we don't, Paul said, wow, we have denied the faith and we're worse than an infidel. That's, that's a pretty strong statement. You know, you've denied the faith and you're worse than an infidel if you don't provide for your own, especially those of your own household. Wow, but this brings me, this, this point brings me to the heart of my message today. That God has never asked you or I to do anything that he himself has not illustrated or that he himself was not the author of first. It's one of the things I love about Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says his commandments are not grievous. Why is that? Because he illustrated it so well. Jesus did. You know, like I said, the beauty of Jesus asking us to do anything uh, is that he showed us how to do it. And really, if you can get your fingers around it, he does it for you. You know, it's, it's pretty simple. You know, Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You see, being a part of the family of God, being in the household of God, having been delivered from a wretched, condemned state, and now you are being accepted in the beloved. You know, you're at rest with the saints, and you are now enjoying the status that's, that not many people do. Let me explain this. You know, my last name's Copen. I'm part of the Copen clan. <laughs> and, you know, being a Copen, uh, where I was from, brought with it uh, certain advantages and privileges. The advantage I had was growing up with four brothers. There's actually six boys in my family, but I had four older brothers. And, you know, my, the, my brothers who had went before me had laid a foundation, if you will, of reputation. Uh, in the schools that I was to attend. Now, some of that reputation was good, some of it not so good. Yet for me, when I got there, it turned out to be an advantage to me. Why? You know, I've, like I said, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. The schools that I went to were huge. They were huge compared to some of the schools that I see here in Ohio. And some of them were some pretty rough places. But yet... My brothers had laid a foundation of reputation. So when I got there, when people would say, well, what's your name? And I would say, Cope. And they'd say, oh, well, is your brother? And they would start naming them off. And I would say, yes. Nobody ever picked on me. <laughs> Why? Nobody ever messed with me. Not because I was tough, but because I had some brothers before me who were. And they really just didn't want to mess with them. So it brought privilege, you see. You know, I, it was an advantage to me being a student. I never got picked on because of who I was. You know, I also had another advantage, which in my lifetime I relied on and banked on, if you will. And that was the unconditional acceptance of my parents. Through the years, maybe you have the same story, but, you know, I made a lot of bad decisions in my life. And I've made some poor choices at times and a lot of it was fueled by, um, you know, depression or whatever. But that's another sermon. But regardless, you know, sometimes I would find myself in predicaments that 
whether it was self-inflicted or otherwise, uh, I always knew that I could return home. I always knew that I could go back to that place where I would find acceptance in time of need, where I would always be the son. Regardless if everybody had forsaken me, and, and there was one time in my life when this actually happened, and pretty much it felt like everybody in the world had forsaken me, not the Lord, because even at the time, I always knew that the Lord was there, but you know, knowing that my parents were there, but especially my mother, uh, yeah, there's something about that. Is it a privilege? Absolutely, it's a privilege. It's, it's, a, it's an advantage that, uh, that I didn't take lightly. But I did bank on it, I have to admit, I, I did. Paul said, you are no longer strangers. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God. You know, you are heirs of God, the Bible says, and joint heirs with Christ. I hope you get that this morning. I hope you're basking in that, especially during this time of trial and testing. You are accepted in the beloved, my friends, as saints. And you are now part of the household of God. Now, when you think of being a part of the household of God, it's not simply that Jesus has come and made his abode, you know, his home in you, which is true, he has. But literally, we are now a part of the household of God. You're in the family. And that brings with it, as, as part of the inheritance, a very blessed and unique advantage for you and me. You could say that it's a, a privileged life. And, and I enjoy it. I hope you do. You know, we hear a lot of yammering today uh, from the world, of course, trying to uh, make those who, who have had privilege feel guilty for it, you know? They, 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 their, their deep desire, of course, is to be a do-gooder, and, and so they begin to disparage those who are of privilege, you see. And, of course, they make it a race thing, but if it wasn't about race, it would be about something else. But, of course, unfortunately, most of them don't get or understand uh, you know, their, their basic error, the absurdity really of their situation or their position, excuse me, is that every person alive today who doesn't desire the position of advantage uh, in one way or another, in, in whatever circumstances, who doesn't want privilege, uh, is lying. <laughs> I believe that. I mean, if given a choice between having an advantage in any given particular situation and not having an advantage, we will always adopt for the, we, we, we will opt for that advantage. We want to have the edge. They want the advantage. That's a fact. We all do. And there's nothing wrong with it, my friends, especially when that advantage is given freely by the grace of God. I'm reminded of the Psalms, and it's Psalm 68, verse 19 says, Blessed be the Lord, who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Psalm 10, or 103, verse 2, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Psalm 116, verse 12 says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all the benefits toward me? You see, there are benefits in being a child of God. 
In fact, the word benefit here is synonymous with the word privilege and advantage. It has always amazed me to see someone who at one time, uh, because of their own sinfulness and wretchedness, had become destitute, homeless, living on the streets without advantage, without privilege, and then repent of his sins, come to Christ, and to watch the Lord begin to lavish on that person benefit and advantage and to see them prosper in so many areas of their life. Now, I'm not saying that people like this are going to get rich, but I like what John Wesley did say, and he said, when a man comes to Christ, he will become industrious. That is, he begins to do for himself what he wouldn't have done before. The simple things, you see, like working by the sweat of your brow. And God blesses us and and then gives them advantage. It's a blessing to see people come up like that because it's really the Lord that's doing it, you see. Every good and pleasant gift comes down from the Father of lights. In the gospel, Jesus said, uh, as recorded there in Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to read it from verse 31 and, and through 33. He says, therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all these things the Gentiles, some of your Bibles might say the heathens, they seek for. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Well, what is the righteousness of God, my friends? It's Jesus Christ. He is the righteousness of God. And he bestows that righteousness upon any who come to him in faith alone. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, the clothing, the food, whatever that thing may, all these shall be added unto you. And in another place, the Lord said, it is his good will, you see, to give you the kingdom. The psalmist said in, in 37, I have been young and I have been old, but I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Man, the Lord is my provider. God has taken care of my need. You know, even during this time of sequestering, maybe you have experienced the same abundance because of your privileged lifestyle as a child of God. But I wasn't part of the madness of running to the stores, whim, you know, and crazy, you know, uh, oh no, you know, and, and, and hoarding toilet paper and everything else. Uh, we already had an abundance of everything that we needed, you know, and we've had to go for very few things because God has provided against these days. And he does that for anybody who has come to him. You know, God ministers to us physically as we've been talking about. So he takes care of those needs. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. But he also ministers to us emotionally. You know, he takes care of that part of our lives too. In Hebrews chapter 4, he says, For we have not a high priest, talking about Jesus, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like, like we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, 
Jesus is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. You know, he ministers to us during those times when emotionally we are drained. Why? Because he has been tempted. He has been tested in every manner as we have. There's nothing that you're going through that Jesus didn't go through himself. Yet, he did it without sin that he might be able to minister to you when you are in the midst of that same temptation. And so he takes care of us. There's advantages, you know, to being a child of God. You know, in in fact, and and, and Paul says uh, back there in chapter 1 of Ephesians, he says that we are uh, blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Man, what a blessing it is to be in the Lord and the Holy Spirit coming at these times and refreshing our memory that we are safe in Him, that we are going to be fine. We're going to be okay. God is taking care of it. He ministers to us. God has done it all, you see. The advantages that we have in Christ are too numerous, my friends, to even mention. But they cover these three basic aspects of our life, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual. Now, we do not seek advantage and privilege in order to have something over someone else, no. But we desire the privilege of God that we might provoke others to believe in Jesus Christ, that they may too find and become part of the household of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're living in a time, my friends, when the gospel is being preached, as I said earlier, like it's never been preached before. Every pastor has become a televangelist. And the gospel is being spread all over the world faster and more frequently than ever before. Because hopelessness has never been so prevalent as it is today. People need to know the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Not just about the hereafter, but the privileges and the advantages that we have in Christ in the here and now. You know, I heard a preacher say one time that eternity doesn't start when you're dead. So often we think that it does. Oh, far from it. Eternity starts when you come to Christ. When God calls you, chooses you, opens your eyes and your understanding to your need for him and you acknowledge your wretchedness and and your need for the Savior. Oh, that's when eternal life starts. When a man is born again, filled with the Spirit of God, that's when eternal life begins. But that's when your life in the household of God begins. Doesn't mean you won't have trial. Doesn't mean you won't have temptation. But during that time of trial and temptation, We always have the Father. We always have the household that He is in that we can come to and receive grace and help in a time of need. That's the beauty of the privileges of the household of God. For through Him, that is Jesus Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. You are blessed, my friends. You have a position 
If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a joint heir with Christ. You are a child of the living God and are part of the household of God. Blessed? Yes. Privileged? Absolutely. Advantaged? You better believe it. We are all the above. Not that we can lord it or want to lord it over anyone, but that we might illustrate it, you see, to those who are in need of forgiveness and reconciliation to God, that through Jesus Christ they might have the same. Therefore, let us, you and I, who have experienced the blessedness, the privilege, and the advantage of being in the household of God, let us preach the gospel. Let us add as many to the household of God as we possibly can with the time that we have left, my friends, before that great and coming day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let us pray. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for your benefits. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And for all the things, Lord Father, that you have bestowed upon us, Lord Father, just because we are your children, because you have accepted us in the beloved. Lord, help us to reach out to this world. Help those who are listening to this broadcast, Lord, during this time of unprecedented fear in the world, Lord, and un godliness and and without Christness and the hopelessness that they have. Lord, Father, open their eyes to their need for you. The only source of hope, the only household that we need to belong to, that we might have the advantage, Lord, of eternal life and the privilege of serving you. We love you and we thank you. We ask this, In Jesus' name, amen.